What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. Joey Ryan, who's 10, right? Comes downstairs, his 12-year-old sister, Betsy, sitting at the counter. It's Christmas time. He looks at her and says, hey, Betsy, do you want some hot chocolate? She looks at herself like, who doesn't want hot chocolate? She's like, yeah, yeah, I'd love some. He goes, always. That's amazing. Great. When you're making yourself some, would you make me a cup too? I, I tell that story, one, because I'm genuinely proud of his delegation skills and influential <laughs> skills, right? Like, that like is father awesome. Father like son. Like he father just, like son. Just drew her in there. Like, yeah, like, I, I like a little hot chocolate. Great. When you're making it, would you also get me a cup? <laughs> All right. Well, also, though, you know, it's, it reminds me of this podcast we, we're doing today with Pace Morby, is that you and I show up. We want to provide value to you listening to this. We ask maybe two questions and then he takes over. Just let him go. Delivers like amazing, right? Like just like Ryan, he wanted something, but he didn't need to be the one who provided it. And today Pace did that for us. We didn't need to provide the info. We just needed to, to provide the opportunity in the setup and allow him to crush. Oh, no doubt. And if you haven't heard our our first episode with Pace, go back and listen to it. But this is, in my opinion, this is the number one thing that you need to learn in 2023, right? How to find the bunnies. Am I right? Now, that's not going to make any sense until you hear this interview with Pace. But how to find the bunnies, how to have conversations with people in looking for real estate deals and opportunities for you to become financially free. But this opportunity right now today is greater than we've ever seen for you to be able to obtain properties with no money out of pocket and the lowest possible payments and terms of all time. Am I right, right or am I right? When you see interest rates at six to seven and a half percent and you have the ability to buy properties as low as 0%, maybe two, three, 4% tops. If that doesn't get you excited about where we are and the opportunity that this podcast provides, skip it. Don't go to something else. As Joey said, if you want to go listen to the first episode where we go way deeper on kind of the background with Pace, you can go back to episode 139. But this interview with Pace, right? Because Pace really took over, is an amazing opportunity for you to hear how he got into it, but also how he utilizes this to build wealth for he and his family. And we didn't even mention this, but Pace also has an amazing TV show that's on a and It's called Triple Digit Flit. You can go check it out with also one of our previous guests, Jamil Damji. Joey, 
Let's shut up as we did in this episode and jump in right now with Pace Morby. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now, here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Wealth Without Wall Street Tribe, this is the moment you've been waiting for. Pace Morby is back for a second episode. If you missed his first one, go back and listen to it. But Pace, we're so glad to have you here. Super grateful, guys. Thank you. Pace, most people don't know what sub two means. I was sharing this with my younger daughters just last week. For those who are like me and my daughters who probably don't understand Please give us some background. What is sub two? Where did it come from? And how did you get involved? Before I, uh, before I knew what creative finance was, sub two, seller finance, all these things that we can touch on today, I thought of real estate as, um, you know, I thought I knew what color meant. But once I understood creative finance, it was like I, I, real estate went from black and white to full blown color. Like, Oh my gosh, it was it was mind blowing what creative finance could do for you. And um, I'd love to tell you guys a story of how I came upon creative finance and and why it was so important to me. If that's what you guys want to hear, yeah, let's do yeah, it for sure. So um, maybe like a lot of your audience, um, I I'm a, I came up in a blue collar family. My dad is a contractor. Twelve children in my household, eight sisters, four boys. So I'm one of four boys. Same mom, same dad, 14 people in one household. You can imagine the cars we had to drive, the size of houses we had to buy, how many eggs and gallons of milk my parents had to go and and save up for to to buy every single week. It was absolutely bonkers. And um, my dad was a CPA by trade and by education. And then at nighttime, my dad, because he didn't make enough money in his nine to five job, my dad was a contractor in the evenings and on the weekends. So that's how I grew up. I grew up learning those things and knowing that if I ever needed money, I just go on the job site with my dad and paint baseboards and install toilets and ceiling fans and those types of things. I was doing that at age six, eight, 12, 14. When I went on, when I went to prom, guess what I did? I got to save up 500 bucks to go to prom, went and worked with my dad on weekends, right? This is what I learned. I learned how to trade my time for money right? This is where a lot of your audience is coming to you guys, Wealth Without Wall Street and saying, how do I, how do I become my own bank? How do I change the, the whole entire paradigm of my life? How do I change this? Because I learned, just like a lot of your audience learned, trading time for money was, was how I was going to support my family. So um, of course, surprise, surprise, I get into my 20s and I go and start a construction company because that's what you freaking do. You follow what your parents are doing, right? So I follow my parents, I start a construction company and I would get to these moments where I'd go to my dad and I'd say, hey dad, how do I make more money? And my dad answered every single time, take on more jobs, work harder, work longer hours. That was literally my dad's only answer. Well, um, what ended up happening with me is in my 20s, I stumble upon this amazing thing um, called flipping houses, okay? I had this gentleman that came to me, his name is Jeff Dumas. And Jeff Dumas comes to me, he's like, man, you should be flipping houses. You're, you're doing all this construction stuff. You should be flipping houses. I go and flip my own house. This first house I ever did is on Plata Avenue. I go and flip my house. This is probably 14 years ago. 
my wife found the deal and Jeff Dumas, my buddy, funded the deal for me. And I went and just like so many flippers, I did it the wrong way. I did all the work myself because, you know, here I am a blue collar guy by trade. I flipped the house myself, make $19,000. I was emotionally involved in the deal. A, a hedge fund ended up buying the deal and didn't care about any of the things that I thought were cool, like the blinds and the backyard landscape. And they never even went and saw the property. And I was like, what the heck is this company doing? Buying this house sight unseen and, and didn't even care about all these cool things that I put into the house. And it opened up my eyes to a, a, another world of people that are out there investing and doing things and buying real estate and pl basically playing Monopoly. They're freaking playing mon Monopoly. And the name of the company was Invitation Homes. They, at that point, had not gone public yet, but they ended up going public years later. And Invitation Homes and a couple of other companies um, saw the work I did on this house and they go, who's your contractor? I go, I'm the contractor. And they go, we want to hire you. So guys, this is what's funny about me and maybe some people in your own audience is I didn't believe in myself so much that even though I just made a chunk of money on my first flip, instead of me saying, how do I go do more of these and how do I start doing more real estate? I, I go, oh, perfect. This was a great opportunity for me to go and expand my construction company. And so I then got picked up by Open Door, OfferPad, Zillow, the big boys, and my construction company blew up to a point where I was doing 60, 70, um, properties a month for these guys traveling all over to Vegas and Dallas and building their businesses because I believed in them way more than I believed in myself. I didn't know this until years later, but I truly didn't believe in myself. I was, uh, everything in my life was, I'm going to build a company so I can serve other people's real estate portfolios and what other people are doing. And it was a lack of self-belief, which was crazy. You know, and when you tell a contractor or a blue collar guy, oh, it's man, this whole game is about mindset. We all think, all we hear is like, oh, you're such a hippie, dude. Stop with the hippie dippy stuff, right? But later <laughs> in my life, I figured out it was all mindset. Anyway, what ends up happening is I'm doing flips for Open Door, OfferPad, I'm busy. And I run into this lady named Bethany Willis. And Bethany Willis hires me. She hears about my reputation here in Phoenix, Arizona. She hires me. I do two projects for her. I'm on time, on budget. She then meets me for the first third project in front of in front of her project, pulls up to the house. I'm 30, 30 minutes early. She comes over and knocks on my window on my truck as I'm sitting there catching up with text messages. And she says, you're unlike any contractor I've ever met. You're on time. You're on budget. You show up 30 minutes early. Like, who are you? And I go, I'm a business owner. And so she goes, get out of the truck. Come sit in, sit in the back of the truck with me. So I sit on the back of the truck and she says, sitting there, she's having coffee. I'm having a diet Coke. And she's like, why aren't you in real estate? And I go, I, I am in real estate. Look at all these houses I'm flipping. She goes, no, you're not in real estate. You are a service provider to people who are. And I was like, and I tried to defend myself. And she said, Pace, you are as replaceable as a mobile notary. I can Google search contractor Phoenix and replace you in 15 minutes. Wow. You are as replaceable as a real estate agent. Agents don't think they're replaceable. You are. Title companies, you think you're not replaceable. You are. Everybody's replaceable in the transaction except for the buyer and the seller, the people who are actually doing the real estate, the people who are party to the transaction itself. And she breaks this down for me in such a simple way. It was like a punch gut to the stomach. And I said, well, what do I do? And she goes, you need to send out postcards. And now I don't tell people to go send out postcards. It's very expensive nowadays, but this was back in the day when it wasn't expensive. And 
overly saturated. Um, there's better ways to find deals now. And we can get into that a little bit later. So she convinces me to go spend five grand, literally makes me pull out my phone, send out $5,000 of postcards, sent out about 10,000 postcards. And here's what's funny. Still to this point, I didn't believe in myself so freaking much that when um, she told me this stuff, I go, this isn't real. This isn't real. I then see her about a week later and she's like, did you send out your postcards? I was like, uh, I will. I will next week. She's like, pull out your stupid phone. We're doing it right now. And I'm like, but I, how do I know what postcards to send and this, that, and the other? And she goes, get on the phone with the postcard company. So I call them, dude, they had every answer lined out. Like where to send, what to send, what color, what font, what this, what that, here's what's working. Here's what our other clients are, blah, 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 blah. High success rate is this, this, and this. And I was like, oh my gosh. She's like, Pace, literally every single answer in your life is one phone call away. And this lady's like schooling me like my parents had never schooled me, you know, common sense stuff, basic stuff. And so I finally send out the postcards right there from the phone, made the phone call, gave the company my credit card. They sent out 10,000 postcards that day to a list that they chose high equity. And I start getting phone calls about a week later. I missed the first two phone calls. Why? Cause I was installing ceiling fans and toilets like a dumbass, <laughs> And so I, you know, like a lot of your audience, I'm so busy with trading my time for money that I'm not taking the time. Even when the magical phone call comes in to change my life, I've got both my hands on a toilet that somebody else is going to take a dump in. Right. And it was just interesting to me. And I looked down at my phone. I got, I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll call those people back. That's not how it works in real estate. Okay. That's not how it works in real estate. I was taking my new endeavor and my new opportunity casually. Right. And I, I was treating other people's businesses that I was flipping their houses as that is where I'm going to make all my money is giving my time and energy to somebody else. Meanwhile, the land of opportunities calling me on the phone. So I get home one night, my wife's like, how's it, how's it going? Did you get any leads? I was like, yeah, I got two calls, but I, I didn't, I didn't pick up on them. She's like, babe, what, what, you know, and she's giving me this lovingly like questionnaire and right there while she's berating me lovingly, I get a third phone call and I finally pick up the phone and you know, I, I met and made it. So when a phone call came through, it would pop up and it would say mailer. So I knew it was coming from my mail, my mail campaign pick up the phone and I get on the phone with this lady named Janie Munson. Janie Munson, retiring school teacher. Okay. Lived in the same house 40 years. Wants to move from Phoenix to Oregon to retire where her family's at. Doesn't want to renovate the house. And she says, I need an investor come and buy my house. I'm not in desperation mode, but I do. I don't want to renovate my house. I just don't have the capital to do so. I go, okay, no problem. I get off the phone with her and I call Bethany Willis. She's the lady that sat on the back of the truck with me and told me to send out the mailers. I go, what the crap do I do? What do I do? And she says, go to the appointment, you idiot. And it was like, she's like, stop asking me stupid questions and go take action. And she, she was so grateful to her. She was like bumpers on a bowling alley for me. She was just kept me right in line as I was bumping and trying to get off, off course. She's like, go to the appointment, idiot. Go, pick up the phone, idiot. Do the thing, idiot. And, um, I go to the appointment. I meet with Janie Munson. I walk into the house. As you do, I start building rapport. How's it going? And I'm looking around the house like I know what I'm looking at. And I'm texting Bethany Willis like, hey, what am I supposed to pay for this house? Here's the address. And she says, don't pay a dollar over 150,000 bucks. So I've got the number 
luckily I didn't need to I didn't know how to comp. I didn't know how to look, do it anything. So I go in, I walk into the kitchen, I look down on her countertop and I see a pile of other postcards and business cards from real estate agents. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Like I I might as well just quit right now. There's no freaking way I'm going to compete with these people. They look all professional and amazing. Right. So I asked her the, one of the most amazing questions and the equation, the question, I still ask this question. My acquisition team still asks this question. I said, okay, well, you know, you're meeting with me today. There's gotta be a reason. Why haven't you sold this house yet? What has kept you from selling this house? And she says, well, I've had 15 meetings with other people, which is a lot, even today in a very competitive market and in a, a seller willing to meet with 15 people is nearly unheard of. They, they'll talk to 15 people. They will never let 15 people in their house. It's very cumbersome and annoying. She met with 15 people before I got there. And she says, well, here's my problem pace. I have an offer at $165,000 and I need more than that. This is my retirement. This is everything for me. I'm, you know, I've been planning on moving. I've known I'm going back to Oregon this whole entire time. And I need as much money as I possibly can because I'm not going to have a job ever again. And the pension right. of a teacher is not amazing. I go, okay, well, you know what? You deserve that. And I can't get you that number. So I tell her, I, I, I can't help you. I literally can't help you. You want one, you want more than 165. I'm going to be well below 165. She says, well, what's your number? And she's thinking, I'm just trying to be a salesperson. And she thinks I'm trying to anchor her and all that stuff. And I go, I can't even tell you, Janie, that because it's such an offensively low number, I don't even want to tell you. And this is authentically how I felt. I actually physically stepped back in the appointment in front of her. I go, I'm not your buyer. I can't help you. And I heard through my body language, she was like, oh, wow, you're serious. You can't help me. And I go, yeah. So through maybe five, 10 minutes more of rapport and just talking to her, I was like, all right, I can't help you. I start walking to the front door and I turn around and I said, hey, look, I own a construction company. I can't help you with the house, but is there anything you need help with? Like, I loved my school teachers, Miss Heredia, Mrs. Rose. I loved my teachers. I even had a crush on Mrs. Greenwell. Like, I, I'll do whatever I got to do to help a teacher out. What can I help you with? And she says, I'm so confused. Like you want to help me, but you don't want to buy my house. I go, yeah. She goes, I can't pay you. I go, I don't want to be paid. I have a construction company. I have all these resources. She says, what are you, a freaking boy scout? I go, yeah, I, <laughs> I actually am. I'm an Eagle scout. And she goes, okay. So Janie stops and she says, you really want to help me? I go, yeah, I really want to help you. She walks me to the back of her house. She opens up her sliding glass door and she shows me three major problems that she had. And those three major problems, people have heard the story before, were three Flemish bunnies, the size of four-year-olds. <laughs> and I'm like, what the freak? I, I felt like I just walked into the, like a weird universe. And I go, I'm so confused right now. Like, what am I supposed to do here? And she says, well, here's the problem. My granddaughter bought these for me. I've raised these bunnies like my own. And now I don't want to have them in my, my retirement. I am done. I am so done. But my granddaughter, who's also grown up with these bunnies, loves them. And we need to make sure that they have a really good home. And I go, okay, what did the other investors say about this? Like, will they help you? She goes, nobody asked. You're the first person I've shown these to. I go, okay. So I get my phone. I get out my phone. I call the number one person I've been able to rely on my whole life. I call my mom. And I say, hey, mom, my, and my mom has like, uh, you know, she has a chicken coop and she has goats and stuff like that. My mom's kind of like a farm girl. And I go, hey, mom, here's Janie Munson. Here's a story. 
in 45 minutes, my mom brings a red truck that still to this day, I have no idea where this red truck came from. And she loaded these three bunnies in this red truck. She took the red bunnies. And as she was leaving, Janie's crying. Like, I can't believe you're helping me. This is crazy. And my mom says, Hey, anything for my son, anything for my boy. And my son always loved his elementary school teachers. And my mom leaves. And I then tell Janie, I'll see you. I'll see you soon. If you need any help, if something pops up, let me know. And I leave and I felt good about it. I felt like, okay, well, this was fun. This was a lot of fun for me. I, man, I could do this. This is cool. I could meet with people. But then as I'm driving home, I'm like, but I didn't make any money. Like, this is not how this works, Pace. You need to make money. <laughs> so I go home and do my thing. And two weeks later, I get a call from Janie Munson. She says, hey, Pace, um, I'm a school teacher. So I gave myself homework. Today's the day I'm making a decision on who I'm selling my house to. And I made a decision I'm selling my house to you. And I'm like, uh, Janie, I'm so confused. And she says, well, let me tell you, you didn't call me for two weeks. I thought any day you were gonna drop a bomb on me and call me and say, Janie, I helped you. I did this for you. You should be selling the house to me, blah, blah, blah. I go, why, why would you think that? She goes, cause that's what everybody else is doing. They came to my house with clipboards, beating up my windows, telling me I, I have single pane windows. My roof is outdated. My this is that. My house smells like mothballs, this, that, and the other. Every single person, 15 people before you, 15 people after you, I met with. And you were the only person that actually asked if I needed help besides selling the house. And I said, wow. And I'm like, I, I don't even know what to say. I told you my offer is way too low. And she says, Pace, bring your contract. I'll meet you in my house in two hours. I'm selling my house to you and I'm sure you'll be fair with me. So I call, I call Bethany Willis. Right. And Bethany Willis goes, oh my gosh. So I pick up Bethany Willis. She's the lady that told me to send out the postcards. I pick her up. We go to the appointment together. She shows me how to fill out the contract. I had no idea how to fill out the contract. And what did I buy the house for boys? 150, 150, 150,000 bucks. And Bethany ended up buying the deal for me at 175. So I made $25,000. But as I was leaving the appointment and Janie, Janie and Bethany are all sitting in the room together, Bethany says, hey, can I just ask you a question? What was the reason why you chose Pace? And I, Bethany was using this as a learning lesson for me. And it was the greatest lesson in real estate that I could have ever learned. And so this is why I go over the story at such length is because your people that are trying to find a real estate deal need to understand what I'm about to say and why this story is so impactful for me to this day. It's the most important story I could ever tell you about creative finance, about anything. Janie Munson's answer was because Pace found my bunnies. Out of everybody, 15 people before him and 15 people after him, Pace was the only one that stopped and asked me how he could actually help me. He was the only person that asked me where I'm moving. What does that house look like? He told me stories about his other teachers. He truly cared about me. And I felt comfortable telling him about my bunnies. And she said that but the bunnies were actually the main reason why I didn't sell my house a year ago when I retired. I've been sitting here in the back of my mind, subconsciously not making commitments and moving forward in my life because these bunnies that are sitting in my backyard, I didn't know what to do with. I was paralyzed. I felt like my blah, 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 blah. You know, she went through the whole thing and I left and Bethany looks over at me. We're sitting in my truck leaving. Bethany looks over at me and she goes, man, you just learned the most valuable lesson you could have ever learned in real estate. I've been in this game for 10 years, probably took me five years to truly understand this, is that your job as a real estate investor is to find people's bunnies. 
find the actual problem, find the issue of what they're doing. And I could go into a whole bunch of stories if we have the time about people that I thought there's reasons people want to sell, but then there's bunnies. Okay. And the bunnies are the emotional things that are keeping them from moving forward or the emotional things that are forcing them to sell. And so most real estate investors are looking for the reason, like the number, like why would they sell like this? And why would they do this? And, da, 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 and they're looking for the mechanical things. And I learned very early in my very first deal that it's, it's never about the house. It is always about the situation. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system? Stallion, that's why we created the Passive Income Operating System, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to whatswhatwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared, though, for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30-second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. So here's what happens. I get the contract. I open escrow. I may end up making $25,000 assigning that deal to Bethany. She goes off and makes a bunch of money. And I meet this amazing escrow officer named Eileen Brown. And, and Eileen Brown goes, oh, you're new. Who are you? Where have you been? Why aren't you doing more deals with us? I go, well, I'd be doing more deals with you, but the problem is all these call, calls that are coming in on my, my postcards, they have like, they're telling me they have no equity, right? They're telling me that they want too much money. Like I look on Zillow and the house is worth 300 and people telling me that they want 325. And I basically just, I just don't think my leads are good. And she goes, remember that story, Pace, you just told me about your bunny story and like this first contract you just opened escrow. And I go, yeah. And she goes, everybody has bunnies, but they're different makes models, they're different sizes, they're different colors, they're different whatever. And the bunnies you you saw with Janie were obvious. They were literal bunnies. She says, the sellers that want too much money or the ones that don't have any equity, you should buy those with sub two and seller finance. And I'm like, with what? With sub two and what? I have no idea what you're saying. She gives me 15 minutes on a whiteboard in her escrow office, office and she says, here's what subject two is. It's where you take over other people's payments. I go, I don't understand how that's even, I don't even know what you're saying to me. She goes, okay, think about this. If somebody goes and buys a car off of a car dealership today, brand new, right off the car dealership, they drive it off the car dealership and they realize, I don't want this car about a month later. Are they going to be able to sell that car for the same amount of money as what they bought it for? And I was like, no, they'll lose value the second the car drives off the, off the lot. She goes, exactly. But couldn't you decide to just take over their car payments? and start driving that car and turn it into an Uber or turn it into a Turo or turn it into something that actually makes money. And I go, oh my gosh, yes. And she goes, yeah. So, so that's buying a car sub two is just taking over existing payments, utilizing that car or that house. If you buy the house sub two as something that produces more money than what it costs you and making a spread and then letting the, the spread and the money that's coming in pay down that asset for you. And I was like, oh my God gosh, I can't even believe this is possible. So she pulls out, she says, show me your leads, show me the leads that you're working and let's talk about what those people want and what they need. 
And so that week I got my first two sub two deals. It was the first two phone calls I missed when I was installing the freaking ceiling fan and the toilet. They had met with other investors, but the investors couldn't give them the number they wanted. And so she basically made me go back to them, call them up, bought, bought both those deals. And she walked me through subject to and seller finance. About a month into this, I make 50 grand. I signed my first couple of sub two deals and I make, a, I make a good little chunk of money assigning these and I call my dad. And I was like, dad, man, or no, my dad calls me. He's just checking in on me. He, he says, this is about when I'm probably 30, maybe 29, 30. He calls me up and he says, hey bud, how's it going? How's, how's life? How's your construction business? I go, my construction business, man, my real estate business is crushing. And he's like, oh, tell me about it. What's going on? So I catch him up all the way up to speed. He goes, oh, that's why your mom came home with all those freaking bunnies? That's what was going on? I go, yeah. <laughs> I go, yeah. And, he, and then I tell him about Eileen Brown and how I just bought these. I go, have you ever heard of subject two and seller finance? Have you ever heard of this stuff? And he says, yeah. How do you think I bought every house that we lived in from the age you were born all the way until you're 20 years old? Every house I bought was subject to seller finance lease option. And I was like, what? I'm standing, out, standing outside on the curb outside of Eileen's office, right? When this, my dad calls me, I'm standing there. I remember exactly the sun hitting my face when I had this moment of clarity. And I go, I realized already how this benefits a seller. And I can get more into depth for this for your audience in a minute. Really good stories about sellers on seller finance and sellers on subject two, like how it benefits the seller and all that kind of stuff. But I already knew how it benefited the sellers. I figured out how to find their bunnies. And my dad then highlights how this benefits a buyer. And so my dad says to me, he goes, yeah, with all of our kids, I had to work my whole life at nighttime and on weekends earning under the table money. And that under the table money as a contractor would not allow me to go out and get conventional financing to buy the houses that we were living in. So I had to go directly to these owners that were had houses for rent or agents that were listing these houses and say, hey, can I just take over the existing debt? Or hey, can you do an owner finance for me? Or hey, can I do a lease option where I can buy it later, but lock in the price today? And my dad said, I, he, I go, you, he did 26, 26 times between when I was born to the day that I was 19 and I went and lived in Korea for a couple of years. My dad had bought 26 deals that way for our family. And I said, why didn't you ever do this as an investor? And he goes, well, because I was too busy installing ceiling fans and toilets. And I had this moment of like, holy crap, my dad had the keys to the kingdom, but he was so busy trading time for money to go beyond just buying his own personal houses for his children. It was like he was just dedicated enough to his own wealth just to take care of his family. But then he spent the rest of his time being a contractor, helping other people in their houses and their family and everything else. And it was this moment of clarity of like, I can't, I can't work for anybody else ever again. I need to go put all my time and energy into building my own business. And so I went on a tear. I got obsessed with it. And I learned how to um, tell stories to sellers to get them to understand things at a very high level. So here's a good example for your audience of like, what is seller finance and what is subject to? I'm like maybe four years into this, everybody in town knows me now in Phoenix as the guy who does all the creative finance. And so I built a brand just here locally by going to RIAs and meeting up with people and calling investors and agents and saying, hey, if you ever have a seller that has wants too much money for their house, I want that lead. 
If you ever have a seller that doesn't have enough equity, I want that lead. And people would think I was crazy until they ran into that lead the next day or three days later. I go, oh, crap, this guy Pace was just telling me that I'm going to run into these kind of leads. And I get a call from a guy named Tim. Tim calls me, he goes, hey, will you go on an appointment with me? I go, yeah, I'd love to go on an appointment with you. What's going on? He goes, I have a seller that their Zillow price is a hundred grand. Like you look up their house, three bed, two bath house, it says a hundred thousand dollars on Zillow, which we all know that that doesn't mean really much. It's just kind of a ballpark. And Zillow is assuming that that house is in rent or is in livable condition, right? If that property's beat up, then that Zillow number is dramatically off, right? So he goes, she, uh, she wants 110,000 for a house that says it's worth a hundred on Zillow. But as a wholesaler, somebody who wants to fix and flip this house or buy this as a rental, I got to buy this thing at like 40, $50,000. And I, you keep telling me that you can help me solve these problems. So will you come to this appointment? Show me what this means. I go, no problem. Take me on the appointment. This is one of a thousand appointments I've been on. This is one of a thousand appointments. I've recorded the whole entire conversation. And I go in and I meet with, I go to the house and I meet with Dale and Susan Poyer. And this was the first time I had ever told this specific story and this analogy, but this is another analogy that really gets people to understand this is um, I go in, I meet with Dale and Susan. Dale obviously was the more submissive type. Love him. He's, he's a great guy, but he, he just, his wife, Susan was like on it, running, running the show. So I started talking to the husband as I, a I'm in a traditional marriage. My parents are in a traditional marriage. So I address the husband. She, she's like, you will be talking to me. Please do not address him. I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> uh oh! I was like, Damn. So what happens is uh, I said, okay, cool. So what's going on? Um, why haven't you, again, I went back to the basics always. I asked the seller, I said, so, you know, why are we here? What, you know, I imagine you're talking to a lot of investors. Why haven't you sold the house? She says, well, because everybody's lowballing me, Pace. Everybody's lowballing me. And I go, okay, well, I, I imagine they're probably like somewhere around 40, maybe $50,000 is what they're, you're probably being lowballed. And she goes, yeah, how do you know? I go, well, because if I was going to offer you cash, I would probably offer the same amount of money. And she says, if you were going to offer me cash, and by the way, guys, this is how I do it on almost every appointment. What I just did there is I pivoted from a cash conversation to a creative conversation. Nice. And I made the seller pause, right? So a right. lot of your audience are like, how do you have these conversations? How do you open this up? Pattern now, interrupt. So yeah, a little pattern interrupt. So she goes, what do you mean if you weren't going to offer cash? And I go, well, if you if I was going to offer cash, I would offer that too. But it's obviously you're not going for 40 or $50,000. Like at that point, everybody's going to offer you 40, $50,000. Maybe you'll get somebody at 54, $55,000. It's crazy that is willing to basically do all the work themselves and they don't have a really good operation and blah, 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 blah. But you've already said no. And there's no way you're going to go from 110 grand down to $55,000. And she's like, you're right. I'm not. But you said you, if you were going to, if you were going to offer cash, so what would you offer me? I go, well, I buy properties two different ways. I buy with cash when it's appropriate. So of course I would lowball you too. Um, but I also offer something called terms. And she pauses for a second, just like every seller and every appointment and every conversation you have will pause when you say terms. They don't know what terms mean. So I said, if you, let me ask you, Susan, if I came up to your $110,000 number, if I was able to come all the way up to that number, would you be willing to give me terms? She says, I don't know what terms are. I go, okay, well, here's what terms are. 
Okay, they have, a, they have a truck outside. I have a truck outside. They're truck people. So I decided to use the analogy that best suits that human being, right? That's how you get any deal done. You use an analogy that suits that person. If there's a school teacher, you talk about a school situation and crayons and those types of things. And you create the connections and the synapses in their brain with your story. So I came up with a story right there. This is a true story. And I said, well, all right, here's what terms are, Susan. I used to be a contractor and um, I had this F-150 hit a hundred or no hit up it hit 320,000 miles. And I didn't say this was a Toyota. I said, this was a Ford F-150, 320,000 miles became problematic. So she says, well, okay. And she's like, where's this going? Why are you telling me about a stupid truck? You know, she's a little spicy, which I, I like her. I liked her. She's great. <laughs> so I said, well, here's what happened with the F-150. I started having more problems with it than it was, it was worth. My guys would call me when they were out in the field and they say, Hey, the truck is overheating or this is happening or this is happening. It was like, it felt like every couple of months. And then it felt like a couple of months in a row. And then I found my, myself leaving it at the shop for a couple of months. Like, Oh, we'll deal with that later. And then I realized, Oh, my profit was down this month because my truck was out of one of our trucks was out of um, commission. So I go, you know what I'll do? I'll sell the truck. So where do I go, Susan? What, what's I, this, is what I asked Susan, I go, what is the Zillow of cars? And she goes, Kelly blue book. I go, yep, there you go. So I go, I, you went to Zillow to get your price, right? She goes, yep. I, I got my price and I added 10 grand on. I go, well, I did the same thing as you. I'm just as belligerent as you. I saw, saw Kelly blue book said $5,000. So I'm crazy. I went on Craigslist, listed my F-150 for $10,000. Do you think I sold that truck for $10,000, Susan? She says, uh, I don't know. You probably got somebody offered you seven grand. I go, no, nobody called me. Nobody texted me. Nobody lowballed me. I was so out to lunch that like nobody was even willing to give me an offer. And you would think somebody would have messaged me like, what are you, an idiot? But nobody, not even that. So three months goes by, haven't sold the truck. My wife comes into the office, sweetheart. And she says, hey, sweetheart, I have to keep driving around this truck in our driveway. Like after three months, what's going on? Like, please tell me you're, you got a plan for this. I'm like, what do you want me to do? The truck is worth more to my company than the $5,000 I would list it for. And then I would actually end up getting 3,500 bucks because somebody would come in and lowball me if I was in that range. Susan's like, yeah, yeah, these freaking lowballers. See how I'm connecting all of these things with her yep. house and what's totally. going on? She's so totally she, buying it. She's totally- Oh, she's coming. Yeah. She's, she's drowned. She, her fingers are barely out of the water. She's so deep. And, and, you know, so she's like, wow. Okay. So what happened? I go, my wife suggested to me, cause I'm the creative guy. My wife suggested to me, why don't you sell your truck and accept payments for your truck? I'm like, Whoa. All right. I'll do that right now. I went right back to Craigslist and I changed my ad to F-150 will take payments. And so all of a sudden, 30 minutes later, I have to turn that ad off because I am being inundated and swarmed by people. In fact, I was getting people like figuring out who I was through Craigslist and saying, I'm coming to your house right now. I'm coming to your house right now. I had to turn the ad off. It was so intense. And so I said, Susan, do you think I sold that truck for 10 grand? She's like, yeah, probably. I go, I actually sold it for $12,500 with a $1,000 down payment, $350 payments um, per month. And over the life of the loan that I gave this, the buyer, because I sold, seller financed, the buyer, seller finance, I ended up collecting close to $16,000 with interest included. And she's like, wow. And I go, so that's what I'm offering you with your house. If you really want that number, 
I'm willing to come up to that number, but you need to be willing to play this seesaw game with me. She says, seesaw game? I go, yeah, think about this as a seesaw. You want this really high purchase price, which means I, I need to get a low down payment and a low interest rate, and we can make this work. You want a high, a, a high, down, a high down payment, a high interest rate? Then I got to change your price to go down. And she understood what that, that meant really quickly. I, I use this analogy all the time in my appointments, literally just a little seesaw thing. And it, they go, oh, this makes sense. So you want high purchase price. I need a low down payment and a low interest rate. She goes, okay, here's what I want. I want $20,000 at 8% interest. I want 20,000 down with 8% interest. And I did the same thing I did on Janie Munson's appointment, the same thing I do in every single appointment. I stepped back physically and I said, I'm probably not your buyer. And she's like, what, what do you mean? You're not my buyer. You just said you'd come up to 110 grand. I go, yeah, but you can't have your cake and eat it too. I'm happy to have your cake, right? I'm happy to give that to you. You're getting a high purchase price. Everybody else is offering you 50 grand. I'm offering you 110 grand. So here's what we settled on. She says, I need a down payment. I go, okay, I'm willing to give you a $10,000 down payment as long as you give me principal only payments. So I get a 0% seller finance deal with her. And she says, I want 10 grand down. So what I structured and I structured hundreds of deals the same exact way. Let's see if I can pull this up for you guys. So you guys, oh yeah, I got it right here. Actually. I told the story yesterday, which is why it's fresh in my mind. Um, so I, I go to her and I go, if you're willing to give me seller finance on my down payment of 10 grand, I will do the deal with you. Yes. yes. <laughs> Love it. So check this out. Let me show, let me show you this little window. So here's my note, okay? So um, Dale and Susan Poyer, okay? The, um, you can see I bought it on March 31st and my $5,000 down payment was due six months later and my next $5,000 down payment was due a year after I closed escrow, roughly a year. I set up monthly payments with her of 375 and I got 0% interest for 20 years, which is when the loan gets paid off. How did we make a determination of that 375? I'll tell you in a couple of minutes. But what did I just do there? Here's what I did. I structured a deal where she got the number she wanted and I got the terms that I needed. She has a tenant in the property. So I didn't have to renovate the property. I didn't have to find a tenant. The tenant's paying still to this day, 1650 bucks a month. 1650 My net cash flow, net cash flow on this property, they've got hundreds of these. My net cash flow on that property is $1,050 a month after my taxes, insurance, CapEx, and her payment to, to Susan, $375 is paid. So if I go six months of cash flowing $1,050 per month, I just made $6,000, right? Roughly $6,300. And my down payment to her was $5,000. So I take five grand out of my six, pay it to her do the same thing six months later. So I do give her a down payment, but I give her the down payment out of the cash flow that I make out of my first year. So I truly get free real estate with principal only payments. And that note indeed of that note that I just showed you, that promissory note, it's public record. People can pull these addresses up. That's 1906 South 78th place in Mesa, Arizona. I've got hundreds of deals just like that. So um, Susan couldn't have, couldn't have been happier. And I'll tell you why. Because when people ask me, well, why did she do this? And why did she do this? And I, you guys think of the reason she did this was because I gave her 110 grand. That's not the reason. That, well, I, I'm sorry, that is the reason, but that's not the bunnies. 
That's not the bunnies. That's the reason. $110,000. She got, she got my basically $10,000 extra in the first year of the cash flow. The bunnies were that she had a family member living in the property. That family member, as we all know, family members typically take advantage of other family members and their kindness and your generosity never goes um, unpunished. And so it was them groveling and begging for their payment every single month. And so it created this really uncomfortable situation with Dale and Susan. They go, we don't want to collect rent here anymore. We want to go travel around the country in our RV. And we want to go enjoy our lives. And we, we thought being a landlord was going to be passive income. It's not. It takes us two weeks to get our rent every single month. And then we start dreading every, the beginning of the, every month. We have to beg our family members. And then we don't even want to see them at Thanksgiving and Christmas and blah, 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 blah. See, these are bunnies. These little things are bunnies, not reasons. Reasons are I got a high purchase price and the structure and all that kind of stuff. The bunnies were, we want to go enjoy our life. And we don't have, want to have the, the pain and pressure of being a, a tired landlord. So what ended up happening is I go, all right, well, what does it take? What does it cost you to rent out an RV spot in, let's say, Texas for 30 days as you guys are traveling around? Then you go to Tampa, then you go to here and you go to Maine. What's the average cost to rent out one of these spots per month? She says $375 a month. <laughs> I go, okay, perfect. Then let's set up the payment. So for the next 20 years, you and Dale never have to worry about making another RV um, spot allocation. I'll pay for that for the next 20 years. Brilliant. And I found the bunnies. And so every single deal that I do, when sim somebody comes to me and they go, I've got this seller willing to let me take over the payments or this, that, and the other, and they're wanting this structure and this, that, and the other, but they won't budge on this and they won't budge on that. And I go, what are their bunnies? And they go, uh, their bunnies are, they want, they want to move. I'm like, but why? What's going on? Okay, so I've got a deal right now in Texas City, Texas. Okay, I'll pull this one up. This is a deal. I'll tell you, this is a deal that I just barely got. I don't even think we've closed escrow on. I think we're closing escrow in the next couple of days. Um, I'll give you the address and um, show this to you guys and um, give you a little, another bunny story. This happens all the time, especially right now in this market. So this is why this is so important for people to understand this. So here's the, here's the address, cute little house. I mean, look, look at this thing, dude. I'm buying this house subject to, which means I'm taking over the existing payments. So the seller has, look at this, turnkey, ready to go, furniture, Beautiful. everything's staying. She's taking some of the decorations out, but she's moving, okay? Here's the reason she's selling this property to me. There it is, 13013 Cobalt Cove Court. Seller's name is Brooke. Okay. Um, agent helps her buy that house a year ago when interest rates were at 3%. She buys it at the top of the market and she meets a, a, she meets a guy that lives three hours away. So she finds herself traveling to and from that guy's house. Right. And she goes, man, I, this isn't going to work for me. I I'm going to, I we're gonna, let's move in together. And he ends up proposing and they're engaged to get married. Now this is about a year and three months after they meet, right? Type of thing. So she calls the same agent that helped her find the deal on 13013. And the agent goes, of course, I'll list the property for you. Agent, just like most agent, don't even look at the equity situation. She bought the deal with a VA loan. So she put no money down on the deal a year and a half ago. The agent goes and puts it on the market, sits there for six months. Every time they got an offer, 
It was below what she, what she owed. And she's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. It's like, welcome to the new economy. This is going to happen for the next, it's been happening for the last 12 months. It's going to happen for the next 48 months. You're going to have hundreds of thousands of people underwater and not able to sell their property without coming out of their pocket to, to pay their agents and closing costs and all that kind of stuff. So I, we find this deal on an expired listing um, list. So anybody that's listing go, where do, where do I find these deals? Guys, go to expired listings. Agents that tried to sell these houses in 2022, 2023, 2024, they have no clue how to solve this problem. The only thing they do is they go, I tried to sell it, but you don't have equity. So I don't know what to do here. And there's no way you can pay me my commissions and no buyer's going to come in and do this. Except for the fact that interest rates today are now hovering between six and seven and a half percent, depending on what your credit score is. So her underlying mortgage, okay, is 2.75%. Brooke said, this is what happens. I reach out to Brooke, can't get a hold of her. Okay, my team reaches out to Brooke. They see the expired listing. They reach out to Brooke. Hey, Brooke, we'd be willing to take over payments on that house and alleviate that house for you. She doesn't reply because she's probably getting hit up by a whole bunch of people. So we go, let's call the, the agent. It's called the agent, Ryan. Called Ryan. Hey, Ryan, this is what we do. We take over payments. We can buy that property subject to, he says, you can do what? I'm like, bro, you don't subscribe to my YouTube channel? Like, <laughs> if you don't know what to do is like, what the freak are you doing with your life, man? Like as an agent, you could be dominating. And I, we sent him an expired listing list and I go, look at all these people that don't have equity, but the properties will cash flow. And so somebody who might be listening is like, why would you want a property as a lack of equity? Well, guys, guess what? Every damn homeowner in the, in the world buys their home for their family with no equity. You guys are paying full retail on the MLS and you guys aren't squabbling and complaining about, I don't have equity in my house because the equity comes and the equity goes. But in my mind, the cash always flows, which means I buy an asset. I don't care about the, the equity today. My tenant will pay down my equity but the tenant also causes me to cash flow. So here's what happens that Ryan goes, you would buy that deal? I go, yeah, man. He goes, you'd pay my commissions. I go, well, you don't have the listing anymore, but I would pay you a couple thousand bucks. So he gets a hold of Brooke. Brooke, Brooke actually answers his call and she goes, wait, so I don't, I don't have to have that house anymore. Somebody would take over the payments. And I ended up getting on the phone with Brooke and I had a nice, we ended up doing a Zoom. I do mostly now Zooms with my sellers because I want to see, I want them to see my face and my mannerisms and stuff like that. And it's a good learning um, thing for my students and also my acquisition team to see how I operate, how I tell stories and whatever else. So I sat there and I extracted the bunnies out of Brooke. She told me the story. She's like, I go, so why are you moving? What's going on? What's going, what, why, why do you want to be up there in North Houston? Oh, I met a guy. Oh man, tell me about him. And literally for 45 minutes, Ryan's like, yo, are you going to talk about the house? No, bro. Cause it's never about the house. I learned that lesson with Bethany Willis. I learned that lesson, lesson with, with Janie Munson. It's never about the house. And the reason why you failed to sell the property is because you thought it was about the house. It's not, it's about understanding their bunnies and, and, and how to rehome those bunnies. Like my mom did figuring out how to rehome that problem. And so I go, Brooke, you want to be next to this guy, but you have to keep driving to and from this house and you're wasting all this time. I go, what if I told you I'd be willing to take over those payments and you don't have to worry about it anymore? She's like, you would do that? And I go, yep. And I go, I'm not going to give you any money though. She goes, done. Where do I sign? 
<laughs> this is li literally a deal I'm closing in like a couple of days. Guys, this dozens and dozens and dozens of times a quarter, I gobble up these deals. Thousands of people I've taught this to all over the country are doing the same thing. My goal is to normalize the conversation around creative finance. And so sub two has been around for a long time. It's just that I've, I'm the one that's perfected it in the, in, the, in the industry. Like I got attorneys that have been doing this for 30, 40 years that call me for my advice on subject two. So what happens is I'll turn that property into a midterm rental. I'll, I'll, it'll be a corporate rental. So traveling nurses, airline pilots, those types of people will stay in that property. And um, we have a company that we work with named Zeus that Zeus will come in there. They'll furnish it with their own furniture and they'll rent it out to a midterm rental client. And I will make probably $600 a month cash flow on that property. I one, get the cash flow. Cool. Two, I get the future appreciation whenever the market comes back around. Three, I get the tax depreciation. I paid $0 in taxes the last seven years of my life. Make millions of dollars, pay $0 in federal income tax. So while other people are running to Puerto Rico and other people are doing the, these weird things to try and have waterfall, this and that and whatever else, I'm just buying assets that cash flow. My tenants go out, they make their money, their paycheck, and they think they're working for the company that pays their paycheck. But in reality, they are working for Pace Morby because 30% of their income goes and pays down my debt, pays down my sub two loan, pays down my cash flow, my management fees, all that kind of stuff. And so for me, I, I go, people come to me and go, Pace, how do I buy a house? I, my credit's not great. I go, I haven't used my credit to buy the last 700 assets that I bought. Mm. I haven't had a credit pulled. And in fact, like a year ago, we wanted to refinance some of our properties. And so we went to a lender and they were like, hey, your credit, well, we need to pull your credit. I was like, oh, really? Is that, is that a thing? And then I remember, <laughs> and I remember that's what everybody else does. Exactly it's what it's so else does. foreign to me. And so for me, like people act like this is brand new. And it, again, you can see like that moment when my dad called me and he said, dude, how's your construction company going? And I said, forget about my construction company. Let me tell you about my real estate business. It was like, did you ever see the movie free guy with Ryan, Ryan Reynolds? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You remember when he puts on the glasses for the first time yep. and he starts seeing all the little objects everywhere with these magic glasses. That's how I felt when I started learning creative finance. I saw every option available. I felt like a superhero. I felt untouchable. I walk into appointments. I talk to agents. I talk to brokers. And this is the cool thing too. I own 85 mobile home doors. I own 300 single family doors. I own luxury Airbnbs. My house personally, if you guys look on my YouTube and you want to see how I bought my house, it's a $3 million house. I bought it with creative finance. The day I bought this $3 million, 11,800 square foot house, I had $1,700 in cash in my name. <laughs> and I didn't have a down payment, didn't have any of that stuff, which is great. Then this year we bought roughly 1,500 apartment doors creative finance. I just closed on 254 units in Springfield, Illinois last week, seller finance, no down payment, cash flows, $48,000 a month, one deal, $48,000 a month, not a single credit check, no money of my own. Nobody asked me for my W-2. Nobody looked at my tax returns. Nobody sniffed my butt and asked me what's going on with my lending situation. I work out deals directly with sellers and sometimes with brokers and I buy everything with creative finance. This, this is so fascinating. If you're just as interested in this as Joey and I are, you have to go check uh, Pace out immediately. Go to his YouTube page, or you can go to www.sub2.com. Pace, 
We're out of time, bro. I could sit here and listen to you all day long. And I do usually, I just usually just watch Instagram and YouTube. But for today, I, we had the pleasure of hearing it live, man. Thank you so much for adding value to our team. Of course. Anytime you guys want me to come back and get into some deep stuff and, and pull up more HUDs and settlement statements and show people how to go find these deals, I'm happy to do it. I would start with expired listings, foreclosure lists, um, go to agents that have houses on the market that are over 120 days on the market and call those agents directly and just say, hey, would your seller be willing to let me either buy it on seller finance or take over existing payments? You'll find deals like crazy. Totally. Thank so you, bro. Awesome. Appreciate you, man. Have an amazing day. Thank you uh, for listening to this episode. If you found me, make sure to rate, review it as well. Go follow uh, Pace, sub2.com. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.